coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 6th of November, 2022. Done on purpose, the paralyzed man. I mentioned that uh, I was starting a series last week on uh, with the title Done on Purpose, that we have scriptures that make a statement with the idea of wanting to see some sort of result or some other thing come about because the statement was made. This message this morning is along the same lines, but it's taken more out of a historical account than a teaching portion of God's word in the sense of like Apostle Paul going through Romans and teaching doctrine. This sort of flows out of the life experience of Jesus as he ministered here. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. The setting is uh, one of the beginning of ministry of Christ. He is in the process of calling his disciples in fact, we have the account in the first of chapter 5 where he uh, calls Peter and his brother and there is that whole incident where Peter's been fishing all night and not able to catch anything and Jesus tells him to put out his boat, put his nets down and of course there is a great deal of fish. So I, Andrew and James and John, along with Simon, all are be called in to be fishers of men. It was shortly after that that Jesus encounters a leper. And if you know the story of leprosy in the time of Christ, it was a a cursed uh, disease. It was something that would ostracize you from the rest of the public. No one wanted to be around a leper whatsoever. And he meets a man in verse 12 of chapter 5, and it says, while he was in one of the cities, and these are the around the Sea of Galilee, there came a man full of leprosy. Full of leprosy. <clears throat> this isn't something that had just recently come upon him. This is something he's been struggling with for quite a while. And the account, he cries out to the Lord and he says, Lord, if you will, can you make me clean? And Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him. Oh, you don't do that. That's a leper. You don't touch a leper. But he did. And he 
says, I will be clean. He charged them that he wouldn't uh, tell anyone except the priest when he would go to show that he was clean. But this was the setting for our account this morning. Jesus is involved in the beginning part of his ministry. He's teaching and he's healing. And the healing is done for the purpose of authenticating who he is. Who can do these kind of things are the question that's often generated when Jesus performs a miracle. Who can do this? And we come to this account. Let me read it and then we'll look at it briefly. He says, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was upon him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. So I want to break this down so that we can get the lesson that Jesus and for those that were there on the scene, and I think by application to us. First of all, the setting. Scripture tells us that there were people from all over, from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. So we know that there was quite a crowd because it describes this crowd, and there's quite a, a mixture of people we know that there was his disciples, at least a few of them had already been called. And so Jesus was busy healing and, and teaching and calling his disciples. There were others. There were believers, some who were following Jesus already and beginning to wonder, who is this guy and is he worth checking out some more? There were the interested spectators those who said, hmm, this is a spectacle. The guy's healing. 
regardless of what he's saying and teaching, it's worth seeing anyway for him to do healing for us to watch and observe. And also there was the toughest critics of all, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were there to check out Jesus. Let's note the story here that there was quite a crowd and Jesus evidently was inside because uh, as these men approached with this person who was paralyzed, they had him on a pallet or a bed. The, the word that is used here could be used in various ways. Probably the best idea for us to think of him being carried on a stretcher. He's being carried then to Jesus, but the mere size of this arrangement with the guys carrying him and the man laying down is tough to maneuver through a crowd. But they want to see Jesus. Jesus had already performed miracles. Scripture said that he was... Um, as he says, the power of the Lord was on him to heal. And so as they moved, they were restricted by the crowd, couldn't get in. You're familiar with the story. They went and it says, finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus Some things I'd like to note about these guys. I titled this section, Stretcher Bearers Union. These stretcher bearers, who are unnamed, had come together to bring their friend to Jesus. They were united. It took more than one to bring this guy. They had covenanted together to do it. They decided this was worth their effort, and that's the second point. Not only are they united in doing this, it was sacrificial. They were willing to put out the effort and spend the time to get this man to Jesus. And they were persistent. Persistent. They could have gotten to the back of the crowd and go, ah, there's no way that we can get there to Jesus. But that did not dissuade them. And they determined that they were going to follow through with their desire for their friend to be brought to Jesus to be healed. So they went up on the roof, Scripture says, that they began tearing apart the roof and then they lowered this man down into the presence of the Lord. We read that story and we go, oh yeah, this is a cool story. Most of the homes had a flat roof. Uh, they would oftentimes have outside staircases or a ladder to get up on the roof and the roof was strong enough not only to keep out the weather,
but for them to be up on the roof, sort of like a big outdoor patio, if you will. But these guys are bold. They're bold enough to go through somebody else's roof. I don't know about you. I haven't made... Let me come over to your house and, and cut a hole in your roof and let my friend down into your presence. That doesn't sound like anything that I really want to do. Well, you know, these men didn't stop. They had the plan to get this man to Jesus. Crowds didn't dissuade them. The roof didn't stop them. One thing else about it, not only were they united and willing to sacrifice to do it and be persistent, but they had faith. They were convinced that they could get this friend to Jesus. Jesus could help. Friend. So I just want to pause here about the stretcher bearers union because it raises some questions for me, maybe for you. The question is Am I willing to pay the price to help someone else? Come to Jesus. Am I willing to work with others to see that happen? Because it's going to involve sometimes more than one. And in this case, it certainly did. The man couldn't get there by himself. He needed the assistance of his friends. And you could say, well, yeah, yeah. But he was paralyzed. And a lot of people I deal with aren't paralyzed. But they are kept from Jesus and they need help getting to him. So the question that comes to us, am I willing to pay the price to see another saved? Well, that would have been enough excitement for the day. A guy being carried in on a stretcher, taken up on the roof, the roof torn apart, the guy lowered down. Let's just get on with it and heal the guy. After all, Jesus was busy healing and teaching. But then Jesus took the opportunity with this particular group of people there, the onlookers, some believers, the disciples, the religious leaders. Scripture says there was a large crowd. Jesus took this opportunity to have a strategic teaching moment. We talked about Jesus being perceived even in our culture today as maybe a good man and maybe a good teacher and course that question of healing and you know, that was 2,000 years ago and they were you know naive about that was probably tricks or something no it wasn't but 
But Jesus had something he said. And as he said this, you know, if I had preached this message a couple years ago, I wouldn't have had this category to use. But now in our culture, we have this category to use. Jesus triggered some people with what he said. And so the question comes, am I willing to speak truth in a culture that doesn't want to hear it? Am I willing to speak truth in a culture that doesn't want to hear it? <coughs> Jesus says something here. You would expect for Jesus to say, wow, okay, rise up and walk. But he doesn't say that. In verse 20, he says, when he saw their faith, notice it says their faith, because they were the ones that helped bring Jesus, this man. And he, they, Jesus said, he noticed not just his faith, but their collective faith. Now, I don't want to be mistaken. Everybody comes to Jesus one by one. But it was the fact that Jesus saw that they were in on it. <laughs> they wanted to see this happen. They wanted this man to be touched by Jesus. And so Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't say that. It was bad enough if you were going to raise him up. It was bad enough if you were going to bring life to those lifeless legs. But for you to say his sins are forgiven, wait, 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 you're way out of bounds here. Way out of bounds. And when Jesus and, and the scribes and the Pharisees began, 21, began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? The word blaspheme means to show contempt to God by denigrating him. I am the same as God, bringing God down to my level. Blaspheme. Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Uh, I think you got it, but you just didn't know that you got it. <laughs> yes, God alone can forgive sins. Who is the one who just said your sins are forgiven? God. <laughs> yes. They asked the question, who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Why did this, uh, why did this trigger you? He says, which is 
He said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or rise and walk? It's easy. While it may trigger some people, it's a lot easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Why is that easier? How would you prove otherwise? How would you prove otherwise? Most things that are said can be found out in time. If a week or two ago I said the Phillies are going to win the World Series, Tim would come up to me and go, ain't going to happen. Right? But the proof is, Given some time, we can put a lie to that, right? And so for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven, that's a hard one to disprove. How would we prove that a heart is now have their sins forgiven? What proof would we use to either verify that or dismiss it as just talk? That'd be a toughie. But that's precisely why Jesus raised the issue and why he put it the way he did. And the proof is of that is found in verse 24. But that you may know that, and this is where we get that done on purpose, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You need to know something. That the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And I thought about that because there's a, a phrase in that verse that doesn't need to be there. It could be said this way. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Would that be a true statement? Yeah. And what he said. He says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Why? Because I'm here on earth and I am forgiving sins right now. But in order for you to know that, let's do something that you can verify. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. In other words, now I've given you something that you can verify. And you can either acknowledge it or dismiss it, but you cannot deny it. Does this man get up, take up his bed, and go? Immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home, glorifying God. The scribes and the Pharisees' conclusion was, oh, it's blasphemy. And Jesus said, no, I can prove who I am and what I'm about. Not only saying something that will trigger you, but by verifying, 
by healing this man, something that you can verify. The proof was in the pudding. The proof was that the man immediately rose up, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home. So the question is, and it was a question for all those who were watching what Jesus was doing, am I ready to have my life changed eternally? Ready to have my life changed eternally? I want you to know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Who wouldn't want their sins forgiven? You know, the interesting thing about the scribes and the Pharisees challenging Jesus and saying it was blasphemy that if they had been asked that question directly, do you want your sins forgiven? They would have probably said, yes, I do. Who wouldn't want that? But they weren't asking that question. They were saying, who has the authority to do it? Rather than saying, Jesus saying, well, I have the authority. I'm going to prove it by raising this man up and letting him walk on home. You couldn't see what I was doing internally, but you can see what I'm doing externally. The two are linked together because the same one is doing it, and I speak the truth. John at the beginning of his gospel said this in summary he came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God to that man who was on the pallet Right here, right now, your sins are forgiven. Your body is healed. Get up, take your pallet, and go. One of the most amazing verses in this passage is this. Verse 26. And amazement sees them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen something extraordinary, extraordinary. We've seen something like we haven't seen before. And what's extraordinary is that verse. Because if they really perceived the message of Jesus, they would have said, me too. Me too. If you have the power not just to raise a person up off their, their bed, give strength to their legs and let them go on home, but you have the ability to forgive sins. Forgive life. I want my sins forgiven. Instead, they were so in awe of what they had just seen and the man getting up and walking and you go, wow, 
We saw him carried in. We saw the roof torn apart. We saw him lowered down. We saw him healed. And now he's walking right out through our midst. Wow, that was something. Weren't you paying attention? For there was times when Jesus performed miracles to say, I want you to know who I am. But in this particular incident, he says, it isn't just so that you know who I am. I'm doing this so that you can know that you can have your sins forgiven and I'm just the one to do it. That's why I wanted to share this passage with you this morning. Because the question is, what should have been on the hearts and minds of all those who are watching, am I ready to have my life changed for eternity? You know about the term evangelistically, right? It's when you go fishing and, and you catch a fish and over time, the fish grows until it was just short of the size that swallowed up Jonah. That fish evangelistically speaking. There were those who went away, I'm sure, that day. I said, boy, that was something worth remembering. That was something. And they would tell their neighbors what they saw. They would tell maybe of the reaction of the religious leaders. They would, they would recount these experiences that they had witnessed. The question that's on my mind is what did they do with the truth that was given to them that day? He came into his own and his own would not receive him. But those who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. I wonder out of that crowd how many believed that Jesus Christ could forgive sins and came to him that heart desire, not just to be physically healed, but to be spiritually changed. When we come to the Lord's table, we do so The call is on us as believers to remember who we are and who he is. I love it because this passage works right into an introduction to the Lord's Supper. Because we are like that man on that path. I don't know if you think back to when you got saved, but I'm sure that there was more than one person involved 
in sharing the faith with you. Might have been family member, might have been a friend, might be a message that you heard from the radio or who knows what, but God used several to bring you to himself. But then God changed us by faith in his grace. We come to share the Lord's table. We remember that we needed a savior. Our sin needed to be forgiven. And by God's grace, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can have everlasting life. When we come to share in the Lord's table, we come to share the elements, broken, unleavened bread, Jesus said in the Last Supper, this is my body broken for you. And some from the fruit of the vine, Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you. And we're called to remember that without his ministry on our behalf, we would still be in our sin. And it's a time of reflection and it's a time of rejoicing. For we're no longer there. And it's because of him. We can give you a moment or two to uh, talk to the Lord in preparing your hearts. And then we will share these elements. Father, I, I can't imagine what that man had to say that day as he returned to his home and for the first time walked through the door. What was the reaction of his family and his friends and his neighbors? that had only known him looking up at them and now face to face. What kind of message of hope and joy and rejoicing and glorifying you that he had for them that day. We know the crowd was astounded. Heavenly Father, what kind of message is in our heart as we reflect on the so great a salvation that you've given to us, that your son was willing to sacrifice himself for us, that the son of God came to earth, lived among men, and went to the cross for you and for me. Heavenly Father, thank you 
for so great a love poured out on us. As we come to share these elements, we ask that you would stir our hearts with thanksgiving and praise. For you are worthy. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, we're going to have the men come. We'll share the elements. We ask you to take it and hold it. And we'll give you indication. We'll, we'll partake together. This is the Lord's table. It's for all believers, whether you're a member of our congregation or not. It's not the point. We just want you to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, don't participate other than to reflect on what we have talked about today and the worthiness of the Savior and whether or not you're going to accept so great a salvation. Men, if you would come, please. Mike, would you lead us in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you and we praise you that we can all come together this day and just give you give you honor and praise and thanks for what you have done upon the cross for us, for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us so that we can be, be free in Jesus and walk in his love, his peace, and to spread that light to the dark world that needs to see Jesus. Use us for your glory. Let us shine that light to this world for this cross did not go in vain, that it is done for glory and for the glory of Jesus, and use us for your glory. We thank you, Father, for this wonderful shedding of blood upon the cross. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We said to eat, uh, not out of disrespect for our Lord, but in remembering that our salvation is already accomplished. Take this first element, and Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. We remember the price that Jesus Christ paid in his body in order to secure so great a salvation. Let's eat in remembrance of him. The second element is a fruit of the vine. I'm going to ask Tom if you lead us in prayer. Our precious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to 
gather together here and to remember what you've done for us. For we are all just great sinners. And you came and died on the cross for us, pulling us out of the mire of sin, giving us a new body. I just thank you for the work you've done in our lives, all of our lives. I thank you that we can take this opportunity to spend this time to remember what you have done for us, the shedding of the blood. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. to that second element and Jesus pointed to his blood shed for us and I've repeated it oftentimes but because it's meaningful to me I repeat it again the innocent died for the guilty how great is salvation Let's drink to the redemption in his blood. I'm going to ask the men to come back around with the trays and pick up your cups, if you would, men.